Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Simply Put. This is Britt and I am so glad that you are here today. And look, if you didn't catch the one year uh, podcast episode, you don't even have to go back and listen to it. I just want to say thank you. If you've been listening for any length of time, if you've sent encouraging words, if you've prayed at all, if you've, you know, even if you just listen, like, thank you. Thank you for doing this journey with me. Thanks for just giving me grace to learn and to, I don't know, just thank you. It's just been such a year of heedfulness and correction and learning how to run my own race. And so I just want to say thank you from the absolute bottom of my heart to anybody that has ever listened to a Simply Put episode. Thank you. I really appreciate you. And so today we are going to be talking about this idea of, um, it's a pretty straightforward question. Are you hiding under your baggage? And we're going to look at this story of Saul and Samuel and how we can see our lives in their midst. And look, guys, I'm just so excited to hang out with you and to bring this word. And so thanks for tuning in. Let's do this. Welcome to Simply Put, a podcast that has been brought to life with you in mind. Whether you consider yourself an all-in Christian or have never been introduced to the freedom found in God, this podcast is for you. While the Bible might seem complicated, God's message is rather simple. Every week, you can expect Brit to take God's Word and break it down into something we can all better understand. Now here's your host, Brit. All right, guys, here we go. So our key verse for the day is going to be found in 1 Samuel 10, uh, verse 22, part B. And it says, and the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. And so as I said, we're going to be looking at this story today where uh, Saul and Samuel, they meet, they interact, and ultimately Saul is presented as this king of Israel or this next king of Israel. So I want to give you guys a 30,000 foot view and then well, it's actually more like a 100,000 foot view and then we're going to zoom in and just look specifically at this scripture today. So here we go. First Samuel chapter nine, we are introduced to this man named Kish who's in the tribe of Benjamin and he has a son and his name is Saul. And verse two says his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the land. Like I just in my mind, I picture bachelor status. That's what I picture. You know, so Saul is bachelor material in the land of Israel. And it says that one day Kish's donkey straight away and he told Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul takes a servant. They start traveling through all the land and they cannot find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they enter the region of Zuf and Saul said to his servant, let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than the donkey. So I want to pause there and then we'll, we'll, take back in and look at a few more things. But here's what we know about Saul so far. Number one, he's obedient. Okay, so his father is like, hey, my donkeys, they're on the loose. You got to go get them. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't back talk. He doesn't ask why. He doesn't just send the servant. He's like, yeah, I'm. that's fine. No problem. So we know he he is obedient to his father. We know that he's careful. Okay, so we see this revealed because he's really worried about his dad and he's like 
you know, I can't just be gone for this long. Somebody is going to be worried. And so just with this little detail, I think we can assume, which is always a little dangerous, but I think we can assume that he is, he's careful. He's not careless. He's not reckless. He cares about what his father thinks, how his family feels. He worries about, you know, what they'll believe if he is gone for too long. So pick up 1 Samuel 9, verse 6. It says, But the servant said, I've just thought of something. There is a man of God who lives here in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. Saul replies, But we don't have anything to offer him. Even our food is gone, and we don't even have anything to give him. Well, the servant said, I've got one small piece of silver. We can at least offer this to the man of God and see what happens. Verse 10. All right. Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lived. And in those passages, we learn a little bit more about Saul. Here's what we learn. Um, we learn that he he honors authority. So his servant's like, let's go see this guy. And immediately Saul is like, we don't have anything. He runs through the religious requirements of what it would take in order to meet a seer. And so by this detail, we can tell that he really respects authority and he honors the systems in place. Verse 10, we're kind of given this glimpse that he's also willing to try. He's, he's adventurous. At least that's kind of the sense I get. You know, the servant's like, let's go. And at first Saul is like, but we don't have anything to offer him and I don't really know. And then in verse 10, he's like, you know what? Let's give it a try. And I think, you know, these, these aspects, these characteristics of Saul just really reveal to us his heart, you know, so he's obedient. He's careful. He's, he's honorable and he honors authority, but he's also willing to try new things. And so they set out and they go find the seer, but the seer is Samuel. Samuel meets Saul. And God had told Samuel the day before, Samuel, someone from the tribe of Benjamin is going to come here tomorrow and he is my anointed king. So here comes Saul wandering around looking for his donkey. And Samuel sees him from far off and and they approach Samuel and they're like, we're looking for the seer. And Samuel's like, that's me. And there's this whole exchange between Samuel and Saul where Samuel's like, man, you can't go yet. I've got a word for you. God is going to use you. You don't need to worry about your donkeys. Here is everything that is going to happen. Remember, Saul was just doing what his father had told him to do, like, he was just obeying his father's command to go and find the donkeys. And he winds up in this place to receive this anointing that Saul is getting ready to place on him. And we see in verse uh, verse 19, so still in chapter 9, we see Samuel. And he, he comes to Saul and he's like, don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago for they have been found. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hope. But Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is of least important of all families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? And so in the same way that, you know, we talked about Saul's obedience and his uh, respect and his adventurous spirit, I also want to draw attention to this very real aspect of Saul. He also 
I would say he's a little bit insecure. He's kind of using this line but um, that we often use. This idea that this is just how my family is. He thinks small because he believes his family is small. And so he's basing what God can do off of what he knows in his current circumstances. And we'll see the tension of these two aspects play out in the story. But, you know, I just feel like this is a, a really large word for us because I think for many of us, God has put an anointing uh, on our lives. But this idea that it can't be us because it doesn't line up with with our past. Um, friend, I just want to tell you that God will do a new thing in you. That he will, he will bring you through and rise you up in ways that you can't even fathom. If you're willing to overcome this idea that this is just who we are. This is all we're accustomed to. Because I just really believe God wants to do something new through you. But that means you're going to have to renew your mind with the way that God thinks and set aside what you think God can only do. So I know I digress, but I just really felt like that was important for uh, someone to hear today. So here we go. Saul stays with Samuel, eats with Samuel, and ultimately, before Samuel sends Saul back to his town, he tells Saul, hey, hang tight, I have a specific word for you. You can't go yet. I need you to send your servant. I need to tell you this in private. That's important. And uh, yeah, man, God has big plans for you. And if we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 10 at the very beginning, so starting in verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. When you leave me today, you will see two men besides Rachel's tomb in Zelza and on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? And Samuel then goes on to tell Saul, three more things are going to happen as you head back. Number one, when you get to the Oak of Tabor, you're going to see three men. They're going to greet you and offer you bread. Take it. Then you'll arrive at the Gibeah of God where the garrisons and the Philistines are located. You'll meet a band of prophets coming down from a place of worship. They'll be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre. And they will be prophesying. And at that time, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person after these signs take place. Do what must be done for God is with you. Then this third thing. Go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I'll join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. And so Saul sets out and all of these things happen exactly as Samuel said. And when he returns, Saul's uncle's like, Saul, how'd it go? And Saul's like, look, we, we couldn't find the donkeys, but we did see Samuel. And his uncle's like, yeah, what, what happened? Saul's like, uh, he told us the donkeys have been found. I mean, totally doesn't say anything about being anointed or appointed as the next king of Israel. And, you know, there's this idea of sacredness and privacy all throughout the Bible that I even, 
over the last year and a half have just started to really understand this idea that you will be anointed before you are appointed. But so many people speak up about their anointing before they actually have been positioned to do what God has called them to do. And we see Saul really pass this test of privacy in this um, in this statement because up until this point, Samuel hasn't disclosed that Saul will be the next leader. And and I guess you can really look at this in two ways. You can look at it in one way of Saul didn't really tell the whole truth to his uncle. And maybe. But you know what else I think is Saul was really exemplifying humility in this point. Like, think about it. He had just been told that he's the next king of Israel, that the lowest tribe in Benjamin, the least of the least people will be risen up or risen up and they'll be the new leaders. And if I was Saul, I would want to tell somebody, I would want to tell my family like, hey guys, look at this. Like I saw Samuel and you know what God told him? God told him that I was going to be the next leader. There's something so prideful where we want to disclose the appointing that's been revealed to us after the anointing has been given to us. But here's what we see all throughout scripture and what I have learned so vividly in my own life is when it is your time, right? So you can be anointed before you are appointed and appointing comes from being chosen. Um, And I don't want you to think more into this than it has to be, but we are so easily, um, we just chase everything. We chase opportunity. We live in this hustle mentality. We we believe that if you want something good, go get it. But kingdom economics is so weird because here's what God says. He says, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do, and I want you to wait for me to do it. That's right. I don't I don't need your help in organizing the pieces. I don't need you to put yourself out there so that way people notice you. I need you to receive the anointing. Get ready for the moment that I call you out of that. I mean, we see this with so many people. We see this with Jesus. We see this with David. And then we see this with Saul. So we're going to dive into that. So 1 Samuel 10, uh, this is really 17 through verse, I don't know, 25. It says, Later Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. And he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So we need to press pause here because this is a very, this very intricate detail, but a very important detail for us. They have asked for a king. God has delivered them. God has gotten them out of slavery in Egypt, but they have asked for a physical king. Now remember, Saul, who has now been appointed as the next king of Israel, is from the lowest tribe in Benjamin. This is the least likely candidate for this position. And so what they asked for is not at all what they thought they would get. And as I was praying about this podcast, as I was studying this word, um, this conversation that I had with a friend came back to my mind and I'm going to try to tie it back, but I do believe that it relates. And, and she was, she was telling me how she kept having this dream of 
herself walking up a mountain and she's carrying this backpack and God's like, hey, I, I really can carry that backpack for you. You don't have to carry that. And and she was like, no, really, I got it. I really, I really like, it's fine. It's my backpack. I've got it. This is not a big deal. And, and we talked about this idea of what if we spend our whole lives carrying a backpack God wanted to take from us. And when we get to the end, when we, when we go to unpack the backpack, we don't even like what's inside. You know, like we've spent our whole lives carrying these expectations and these thoughts in our minds of what our life is supposed to look like. And what if at the end, when we unpack those things, it's not at all what we wanted. And here's how I want to relate that. You know, these people, they're carrying this backpack of what a king will look like. They're carrying this expectation of what um, this responsibility and this, this act and this person will be for them. And what they're presented with is not at all what they thought. And friend, here's my question for you. Here's my question for me is what if what you thought you wanted and what God knows you need are two very different things? Like, what if you spend your whole life asking for something? This is something I am wrestling with. Like, what if we spend our whole lives asking for something? And that something actually isn't good for us. That something would actually hurt us. That something would really deter us from doing God's will for our lives. And and maybe this is, I don't know. I don't even know the best way to put this, but I just... For me personally, I'm really having to learn to loosen up my expectation and set my eyes on God because his expectation for my life is much different than mine. And it's much higher than mine. And it's much larger than anything I can wrap my brain around. And we can play our lives so small. We can carry so much that is so heavy and not intended for us if we aren't willing to set down our backpack, let God carry it and be open to what he might put in it for us. And I know that's a it's a roundabout way of tying in this verse. I totally get that, but but I think that the heart of us and the heart of these people are the same. You know, they're looking for this physical thing they can see to prove that God is with them. And God's saying, I've been with you all along. That battle that you fought, everything you were delivered from, that was me. So from what does it look like for us to set down our expectation of what we think we need and trust that God knows what we need? I'm not saying don't pray for what you desire. I'm just saying open your eyes to see that maybe God is fulfilling those desires in a different way. So pick up in verse 20. It says, so Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So we need to rewind here because 
This is really important. Like I cannot say this enough. I, I It has been drilled in my, my head so many times. You will be anointed before you are appointed. But when you are appointed, you will be chosen. You will not have to force yourself to the front of the line. This is biblical, guys. This is not a new truth. This is just a truth that pushes against the grain of our generation. This is a truth that pushes against our society and what we have been raised to believe. We have been raised to believe that if you want it, go for it. You know what God says? If you want it, ask me for it. You want to ensure that it's my will for you to be appointed? Ask me to choose you. Ask me to raise you up. Don't raise yourself up. Ask me to do it for you. And I can't tell you how how many times, well, number one, I've done this very wrong in my life. But when I, when I do it right, when I sit back and I wait for God to move, when I wait for God to put those pieces in place, you guys, it is so, it's so sweet. <laughs> there's no second guessing that this is God's will. At that point in time, there's, there's not this pros and cons list that you have to make to see if, if this is the way you should walk in it. And um, I think it's Oswald Chambers, it's either Chambers, Spurgeon, or Komen, one of the three. They say that the minute you have begun to make a pros and cons list, you are already outside of God's will because there is a perfect peace that will come over you when you are doing God's will for your life. So friend, I'm going to say it one more time and I pray that it sinks in like it was beat into me by my mentor, just whacked upon the head. You will be anointed before you are appointed. And when you are appointed, you need to wait for God to elevate you. You don't need to elevate yourself. You don't need to run in like a bull in a china shop. You don't need to tell people how great you are. It's a, it's a very good quote that I love. If you have to tell people you're a leader, you're not leading well. And it's the same thing. If you have to tell people that God has chosen you, then maybe he hasn't appointed you yet. Because if he had put you in that position, then they would know. Ooh, that is, I'm sorry. I'm coming for your house today. I am so sorry. I feel like I just, I just busted somebody's bubble. I'm so sorry, but this is true. And I have done it wrong and I have messed this up a hundred million times and I've done it right. And I know how sweet it is. And friend, if you could just grasp onto the sweetness of this concept, I'm telling you, we would make a lot less mistakes in this life. But here's where we got to focus in today. It's this verse uh, 22b. And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. You see, in this moment, Saul has been anointed. He has been appointed. He's also been chosen and called upon. But you know what? They can't find him because he's hiding in his baggage. And I looked up every translation of this and almost all but one have this exact word baggage, which tells us that this wasn't... Um, this wasn't an accidental translation to make it more relatable. This was real. So he was anointed, appointed, chosen, called upon, and hiding among his baggage. And so my question for you today, my question for me today is, has God anointed, appointed you, chosen you, and called you out, but you are stuck behind your baggage? And now what does baggage look like? I don't know. Here's what I think. You know, based on Saul's story, here's what I think the baggage we might hide behind could look like. It could look like what you've come from. You know, it could look like your family. It could look like your testimony. It could look like your struggles, your anxiety, your depression, your, your drug addiction, your alcoholism, uh, your sexual preference, whatever it is. It could look like the things you come from. It could look like the things you don't come from. 
You know, you don't come from money. You don't come from a family that has any background in any of this. And so who are you to be chosen? It could look like what others have said about you. See, there's this moment we didn't even touch on it today where Saul is walking uh, back, you know, after he has ran into Samuel when he starts prophesying. And they say, hold up. I didn't know you had the gift of prophecy. Like, aren't you just the son of Kish? Who, who are you? So maybe you're hiding behind this idea of what others will think about you or what they'll say about you. Or maybe you're hiding behind the idea of what you can make sense of. You know, because if I had to guess, uh, Saul didn't really understand why God had chosen him. It doesn't make sense. Why, why would he choose me? Why would he call me? Question is, why wouldn't he call you? You know, last night I whipped out one of my oldest Bibles and etched in, um, etched in some of the pages is this quote. I don't know where it came from. I have no idea. But it said, your mess is the very thing that qualifies you to bring the message of the gospel. And it's your mess. It's your story. It's your disqualification and, and your lowliness and your struggle and, and everything you've walked through. That's the very thing that qualifies you to bring God's message to this world. He was never out for perfect people. He was never looking for religious leaders to rise up and do all these things. You know, he was looking to the people that were blind, the people that were possessed. I mean, the people that by all means had absolutely uh, no right to lead. And Jesus is like, I choose you. Come on. Let me come on. Follow me and go make disciples. Go do my work because your mess is the very thing that requires you to teach this message. Now, before I send you off, I want to I want to talk about one last thing. And we see this in verse 26. So 1 Samuel 10 verse 26. It says, when Saul returned home to Gabeah, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But there were some scoundrels who complained. How can this man save us? And they scorned him. And refused to bring him any gifts. But Saul ignored them. You know, there's this truth that um, <laughs> you're going to have contenders and you're going to have critics. And it's okay that you have both. You're going to have people that believe in everything you do. And you're going to have people that despise everything you do. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by Andy Stanley is, Society will bait you to the edge and then mock you when you step over. And I, I think about this, you know, even in my own life, where a couple of years ago when I was like, you know what, I am going to go all in for Christ. And I got sober and all of those things. There were people when I was drinking that were like, you know, you really drink a lot. You're drinking too much. We're really worried about you. And then when I got sober, they were like, oh, you're just not any fun anymore. What are you all about this Jesus thing? Like there was so much um, criticism with choosing to follow Jesus. And there is this truth that maybe it's an ugly truth. Maybe it's just a truth that you don't want to hear, but you're going to have critics and you're going uh, to have contenders. You're going to, if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to step into what he has called you to step into, here's what I can guarantee. Someone somewhere will say you're no fun anymore. 
they'll say you just you live differently you're just about jesus now oh my goodness you're so weird you know like i get it i'm not even i think i used to say those things about people like i'm not even mad at it but you just need to be prepared for it because if you think it's an easy walk it's not and if you think that it's gonna get easier it doesn't you know People from the outside looking in will say like, oh, but you're so full of joy. And yes, that is true. But there's an equal herald of burden. There's an equal herald of pain and of depth. And and that is something that no no Instagram, no Facebook, no TikTok, none of that can caption. And so all I can tell you is, you know, when you're anointed, you're appointed and you're chosen and you're called out. Critics and contenders They'll be there. But just set your eyes on Christ and walk forward. He's the one that has called you. He's the one that has elevated you. So don't worry about what what people say. And I know that sounds so lame, but I need to tell you this because it's real. And I need you to know that it doesn't get easier. If you're worried about what people will think if you follow Jesus... Friend, here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if if they think you're weird now. It doesn't matter if... It, oh, none of that matters. And here's why. It's because people will say, what if it's not true? This is everyone's number one argument. But what if it's not true? What if you spend your whole life? You're not going to have sex till you're married? You don't drink? Why would you do those things? It doesn't make sense. I mean, I'm just telling you what people say. And... And they're going to ask, but what if it's not true? Friend, here's what I just want to ask you. What if it is? What if God's plan for your life really is good? What if he intends to elevate you? What if he intends to use you in ways that you can't even imagine? What if he intends to take your insecurities and use you as his platform for goodness? What if your mess really is the very thing that qualifies you to release the message of the gospel? What if you die and you lived your whole life as if it wasn't true and you find out it is? I don't know about you guys, but that's enough for me. And I I totally recognize I'm off way off on a tangent here. But, you know, I want to just end with this story. I've been circling around it for the last couple weeks since reading it. It's found in Luke 16, um, starting in verse 19. As Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus laid there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted. And you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you. 
from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they've wrote. The rich man replied, Father Abraham, but what if someone is sent to them from the dead? Then they will believe and repent. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and even the prophets, then they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And I know that we don't talk about that story often. It doesn't really make a lot of sermons. But, you know, in context of doing what God has called you to do and deciding if you're going to listen to the contenders or the critics. Frank, can I just remind you, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain when you follow Jesus. Maybe you live your life and you're like, I I just don't know if it's true. And I just want to pose the question, what if it is? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Jesus is just calling you to a higher standard. He's calling you to a holy standard. And so as he calls you out, as he anoints you, as he appoints you, as he chooses you, I just want to encourage you to go where he calls you to go. Because what if it's not true? But what if it is? Guys, thanks for hanging out today. You know, I know we kind of digress, but I'm just praying that this message today really helps someone grab a hold of their call, uh, the call on their life. And so I love you guys. I am so thankful for you. And I'm praying for you as we continue to contend through COVID-19. Yeah, if you guys have any feedback, always email me. I'll drop it in the bio, but I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you guys back here. See ya.